according to Callus, and we're taking it back Tuesday. Why? Because we need to. You know, I often think to myself, why do we do this? What is the point? When can we rest? The answer, unfortunately, is never. There's a bunch of pithy quotes having to do with all it takes for uh, evil to prevail. And, uh, you know, it's just depressing. But you don't have to be going 100 miles all the time. And you don't have to be doing everything all the time. We work on a team. We work together. We have allies. We have people that we bring along for the ride. We have to work together. And it's it's challenging because, man, let me tell you, some of the milk toast uh, friends on our team, they just, <laughs> they seem to just not want to show up for any fight ever. And some of our, you know, Christian friends, they just trot out that whole tripe about Romans 13 and, you know, Second Peter about, oh, well, you can't do anything to the government or say anything about the government. Well, yeah, okay, whatever. I mean, if, if that's the kind of surrender action you want to do, maybe it's best you just stay on the sidelines. You're not helping anybody. You're not encouraging anybody. And quite frankly, you're slowing us down. <clears throat> but before we kick into the curb, we need to consult higher thoughts. And by higher thoughts, I just mean people that are obviously smarter than I. We'll go with Ben Franklin. Basically, he said, Surely we must all hang together, for if we don't, we will all hang apart. And that's probably a misquote. But the point is, we're all in this together. We need to act like it. We need to fight like it. Now, where did we hear that before? Oh, I don't know. The last year they've been selling us that tripe as well about how we're all in this together. We all got to go along and get along. We all just got to follow this one more rule, this one more sacrifice of liberty, and maybe, just maybe, we'll be safe. Seems to me there is another quote about trading in your safety, or I'm sorry, trading in your liberty for safety and how you'll deserve neither. Again, my friends, those that uh, profess Christianity are concerned about getting crosswise with the Lord of the Bible. Yeah, I get it. I feel you, but I think you're wrong. I think you're thinking about this the wrong way. I think that maybe if you were to look into some other people and what they think about what Romans 13 really means, perhaps you might have a fresh look at things. We have to take back what Romans 13 means. We have to take back how our government functions. In fact, that is what the entirety of the purpose of going through the doctrine of lesser magistrates is about. That was some of the underlying thought process of me bringing to the forefront Fiji once again. In the United States, the supreme power if you will, is the people. The highest law of the land is supposed to be the Constitution, and all actors are supposed to follow it. Unfortunately, they don't. They misinterpret, they 
tweak it, they ignore it. And we tolerate it. And what we tolerate is what we teach. And therefore, we get more of it. So, perhaps, instead of electing the same folks, time after time, again and again, and that goes for both sides of the aisle. Nobody's innocent in this. They keep doing the same kinds of things. And they don't ever really clean house. I mean... uh, I think I recall Bill Clinton cleaned out most of the DOJ, but if you uh, look now, I would imagine almost all of them have been there since. And I know we've had at least two center-right candidates that have occupied the Oval Office. Why didn't they do the same thing? I mean, Obama purged the upper echelon of the military, and again, we didn't do the same thing. Now, I'm not suggesting that we need to decapitate every executive uh, function or every executive um, organization each time we get a new president in place, but certainly there is a way to clean house. There is a way to get rid of some of that uh, dead weight, some of those uh, dead branches, if you will, some of the people that just don't perform they take up space and they're more concerned about building their little turf protecting their area um, padding their own resume or retirement those are not people that we want to be in a position of influence and power you know if i was going to critique harshly the previous president it would be that he trusted the wrong people And it's really hard to take anything back if the people that you're going to for advice are giving you bad advice and are undermining you daily. So when I look at Texas and where we're at, and how do we take it back? Well, we have three people running against the governor. Any one of those three, in my opinion, would be an improvement. Do I hate the governor? No. Has he been a major disappointment? Absolutely. Do I have a favorite of the other three? Yes. That's Don Huffines in case I have not previously made that clear. And I honestly believe that he's going to do everything that he can in his power to take it back. But here's the key. He can't do it alone. So that means, in addition to him, we have to replace Lieutenant Dan. Now, Lieutenant Dan ran as a man that was going to get things done. And he has sadly failed to deliver. And we have right now one choice. That's Aaron Sorrells. Now I know I've asked and begged for Daniel Miller to throw out his hat in the ring. And if he should, I'll be equally excited about that. But for right now, we have Aaron Sorrells. And I've talked to him multiple times. And I am confident that he's the guy that wants to take it back. And if Daniel Miller should get in there, well, hey, now we got Texas in the mix as well. And that would be highly informative and entertaining as far as debates go. And will make it that much more difficult for Lieutenant Dan to hold on to his job. Because he's got to go. So, to that end, we have at least right now one good choice. Long shot, perhaps, but a good choice. And we have a secondary choice that's maybe on the horizon, which increases the odds that one of those two may be able to knock out Lieutenant Dan.
<clears throat> then we step on over to the Speaker of the House. Now, I have really mixed feelings about Dade Phelan or Felon or whatever you want to call him, the current Speaker of the House. I've heard that his attitude has been largely to stay hands off. I've heard that he basically told the Republicans, you've got nearly a two-thirds majority, you need to do your Republican stuff, and don't blame me. I've also understood that he has put Democrats in the committee chairs, because apparently that's tradition, and that's the way we don't get things done. I've also been aware that he had an opportunity to strip some of them of power and uh, punish them for their running away like little temper tantrum children, but he chose to do nothing there. I got to say, that's really disappointing. That's coming on the heels of the two last speakers of the House that were disastrous. But even if we go back to Tom Craddock, which honestly is probably a little before I started to pay close attention at all to Texas politics. If we go back to Tom Craddock, the reality is, is what did he ever get done? Just how good was he at what he did? I don't know. The Speaker of the House, before he got knocked out by the moderate and uh, Democrat coalition, I mean, was he, you know, was he on our team? I don't know. Was he one of those milquetoast moderates? Probably. I mean, that seems to be the only people that get in the leadership right now. And their job is to slowly sell out the Republicans and the conservatives. Which again, how do we take it back? Well, we have to elect good representatives. We have to send a hmm, tougher breed down to Austin to represent us. We have to encourage them to find a speaker that's not going to be a pushover. Someone that's not always looking to cut a deal to get forward. I'm not really sure how it is we let significantly less than half of a legislative body dictate to the other more than half how to get things done. If you think that it would be any way, shape, or form done the same way if the shoe was on the other foot, in other words, if the Democrats had a, oh, I don't know, eight to ten uh, person lead, do you think that they would share those committee chairmanships? Do you think they would give a rat's behind what Republicans want? Do you think they would give any thought to the conservative constituents? Do you think they would even have the slightest bit of concern for the Constitution? And I think we all know the answer of that. So it's frustrating. It's disappointing. When the people that get the power that are on our team refuse to use the power. What's the point in getting the authority and the power if you're not going to utilize it at the very least to defend that which is important? But if you're not, well, actually, no, you need to defend liberty, but you need to also lead. You need to project liberty. You need to expand freedom. And we just don't do that. We don't do it well. And the people that we keep putting in there seem to give that secondary status to what their job is. And it's 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 very, very disappointing. You know, and it's easy to hate on an individual rep. It's easy to, you know, challenge them, call them names, and, you know, basically smear them 
It, that's real easy. The challenge is, you have to look, there's 150 people there, and our guy's one of 150 people. And we can say, well, you know, Collin County's got five. Okay, so five. You got five of 150. And then if you look at, well, there's probably only really 90 Republicans. And of that 90 Republicans, let's say 45 to 50 of them are right center, conservative, maybe slightly constitutionally minded Republicans. So now you're working with roughly a third, if that, of the entire body is actually on our team. So that's why we're always kowtowing to the milquetoast moderates is because we can't afford to lose them. We can't afford to drive them over to the Democrats. That, that's the story, at least, right? That, that's what we're told. But do you really think that if they thought they could win as Democrats, they wouldn't be running as Democrats? Do you really think that if they thought their district would support a Democrat, that they wouldn't be running as a Democrat? No. No, 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 no. A lot of them are, you know, Rick Perry era turncoats. And I don't fault them. I mean, once upon a time, Rick Perry was a good Democrat. Then he became a fairly good Republican. And now he's retired. And maybe that's best for all of us. But I don't hate on Rick Perry. Rick Perry did some good things. And Rick Perry allowed a lot of things that maybe weren't so good. His predecessor, who sounded great as a governor, was really kind of a disaster as a president. But again, we can't fix that. We can't change that. But we can take it back. We can make a difference if we will just show up, do the work, and take back the initiative. We can take it back. There are any number of clubs and groups in the state that are putting together plans and to do that right now. Whether it's the folks over at the True Texas Project and their, you know, countywide strategy to, you know, build up zeal and interest in conservative or constitutional issues. Whether it's the five star plan where they're actively recruiting and building up a stable of good candidates. Whether it's the local tea parties that are still around doing their thing, trying to hold their local reps accountable and make them do the job they hired them to do. Now, it's challenging if you're a state rep and you have 30 counties that you're covering. It's challenging to be everywhere at all times and keep everybody happy. But I think most of them have an idea of, you know, the district that they represent. I think most of them have a general idea of what the expectation is. But then that's where we have to take it back. We have to put in the initiative. We have to make those phone calls. We have to send a text message. We have to send an email. Maybe we write a letter. If you've got the time, the wherewithal, and the money, drive to Austin. Camp out in their office for a day. Watch how things get done. Let them know what you think. I mean, I I looked at the first draft, if you will, what they were going to do to Collin County and the redistricting, and yeah. I wasn't enthusiastic about it, but I thought it was pretty good. I mean, you know, the gerrymander word was thrown around, but no, no. I mean, you're trying to kind of even up the the populations and trying, you know, obviously as conservatives or Republicans, we want to keep our people in office, but we also want to make sure that we're being fair and even handed. 
I don't think there's any call for us to gift a Democrat a seat anywhere in Collin County. Now, that's not to say that they don't have some city council seats. and I mean, we know they run the school boards. And maybe at one point in the distant future, they'll have somebody on the commissioner's court. And I don't really have an issue with that because I believe all sides should be heard. But the problem is, when they're in control, when they take power, they don't believe the same things. They don't represent the same things. In fact, if you look at the cities that they currently run, you can see just what they think about equal time, equal representation, and equal power. Or any power sharing, for that matter, they don't. And quite frankly, that should worry you. If you consider yourself a conservative, if you self-identify as a constitutionalist, if you're concerned about liberty, you ought to be thinking to yourself, what do we need to do to take it back? And I've given you a few examples in just the last couple of minutes of different groups and organizations that are working to take it back. They're working to hold Texas. They're working to help Texas lead. The idea of Texas leading is that we are supposed to do what America could have done and chooses not to do any longer, is lead by example, be that shining light on the hill, if you will. Now, maybe that's a little far-fetched. Maybe that's not the full reality of the situation. But when you have every branch of government, when you have a fairly solid majority in both the houses, I want to know, What's your excuse for not getting things done? What's your excuse for not leading by example? What's your excuse for not telling the feds when they're out of line to go pound sand? What's your excuse for not protecting the border? What's your excuse for, oh, I don't know, tolerating invasion, tolerating the bankruptcy, tolerating the theft of property, tolerating the overtaxation? We are a sovereign state. Even if we're not a republic as of yet, we are still a sovereign state. We are in a position to dictate terms to the federal government. They work for us, not the other way around. Yes, they take our money and they give us some back. And, you know, we quote unquote need to stand good terms with them. Yeah, okay, that's fine. That's all well and good. But the only authority the feds have are authorities that we have delegated them as individual states. The states don't have to continue to delegate that authority. The states can say, enough, you've gone too far, but they just don't. And again, this comes back to the fact that our governor's a pusillanimous leader, that Lieutenant Dan is a no-show. Now, We have a couple other statewide offices that actually do good work. They actually stand up for us. But they don't have the power and authority that the lieutenant governor and the governor do. And if those guys are not going to exercise their powers and authorities properly, they need to be replaced. And just so we're clear, just because we're in favor of no mask mandate does not mean the governor has the authority to issue that executive order any more than he had an executive order authority to issue a mask mandate. 
Now, I know, I know, they say that the legislature granted all these extraordinary powers under an emergency. Yes, but I'm fairly certain the Texas Constitution does not allow for the legislature to delegate that authority. It's spelled out who's supposed to have that authority. And when I get around to finishing reading the Texas Constitution, I'll feel a whole lot more comfortable having that discussion. But for right now, going off the assumption that the layout is very similar to the U.S. Constitution, which basically says Congress can't abdicate their role. They can't just gift the president extraordinary powers and authorities. They can't make him a king. They can't just delegate all these different things to executive agencies. That's their job. Their job is to write the laws, not just hand it off and let these uh, unelected bureaucrats run and ruin our lives. But they do it all the time. And we tolerate it. We, the sovereign state of Texas, need to tell them no. We need to tell the EPA, no, you don't have authority to do that. We need to tell the Bureau of Land Management, no, you don't have the authority to do that. We're taking that back. We're taking that authority back away from you. We're removing the authorization for you to act in this manner. We are revoking our consent. We are taking it all back. Now, I know that this is starting to get a little radical, Oh, Callus, we don't want to go to the Texit route. Well, you know, it kind of is a Tuesday and it could be a Texit Tuesday, but it's Take It Back Tuesday because we're talking about the intermediate steps, the things that need to happen before we ever consider going down that road. If you don't have somebody willing to stand up and say, hey, school board, you don't have that authority. And Oh, by the way, now I'm going to run for the school board. And when I get on the school board, I'm going to stop you guys from abusing this power. If we're not willing to do that, we're dead in the water. If we're not willing to go to the city council meetings and tell them, no, you don't have that authority. The state hasn't given you that authority. You don't get to just take that authority. You're overstepping your bounds. As a matter of fact, the county has already determined that this is not allowable by you, city. But we don't do that. Or at least we don't do it well. Now, again, we're blessed. Or at least I'm blessed. I live in Collin County, which arguably has the best county government in the state. Are they perfect? No, I'm sure they got something wrong. I'm sure something could have been tweaked or slightly improved. But I'm extremely happy with two of the individuals that I helped get elected in my own little special, small, tiny way. But I was thrilled to death to support those two officials and given the opportunity, I'll support more because I believe they're trying to do what's best for Collin County. They're trying to protect our liberty. They're trying to maintain the tax rate and the level that keeps it as an effective zero increase, right? They're trying to do the things that we need them to do at the county level. I think they're great. At least the two that I have supported in the past. I don't dislike the other three. Just saying. I'll, I'll only speak to the two that I've been big fans of. That being said, we have state reps. My state rep is retired and now they're doing the redistricting and we'll see what we end up with next. I look forward to finding out how that's going to play out. But we can do better. We can do more. 
We just need maybe one or two state reps to go down there. Take the line like a Matt Rinaldi. Take the line like a Jonathan Stickland. Or take the line and just say no. No, we don't have the authority to be doing this. We we don't need to be involved in these things. Now, fortunately, or I should say unfortunately, when these guys retired, they left the hole. But then we got this guy, Brian Slayton, that jumps in the middle and says, no, hey, look, we shouldn't be doing these things. Again, none of these guys are perfect. Nobody's saying that. But they're so much better than the status quo. They are so much better than the average mediocre representation we get. They're there. They push the Overton window. They get aggressive on things that are important. And they hold people's feet to the fire. They do what we're not able to do. And as time goes on, it, I sincerely hope that we'll be able to do remote testifying. That we'll be able to do remote offices. And honestly, if I'm given the opportunity at some point in the future, I think that if you're going to have a district... You need to have an office that's open year-round. And you need to have a representative that's willing to work for you year-round. But here's the challenge. They don't pay those guys much of anything. So almost all of them have to have regular jobs. And almost all of them have families to support. And it's really hard to do it on the 20 thousand dollars we pay them to work, you know, four months basically nonstop. And then, of course, there's the campaigning. I got to say, I'm kind of thinking that maybe they would need to get paid a little more money. Or maybe we need to look at a way that they can self-fund some things. But it's, you know, this age-old story, the way things were set up in the past were to allow people to set aside time to go serve in leadership. It has now worked against them. Now there's like this class or this caste system where only certain people can get there and they can, they're the ones that make the rules for all of us. And they're the ones that determine what's right and what's wrong. And quite frankly, at the moment, they're kind of selling us out and they're not standing up for us like they should. So maybe we need to rethink how we do things. I mean, I know what I want to do. I know what my call to action or what my direction is going to be it's just a matter of how is that going to play out in the near future and that is the that's the big question you can't live on nothing you can't work for free but if somewhere in between there you can find something to make yourself a little more self-sufficient find something to make yourself a little more financially independent that gives you an opportunity to do things whether you're volunteering, whether you're serving, whether you run for office. And we have to be willing to support people that are willing to do that. We have to be willing to congratulate and encourage people willing to stick their neck out and do something. We don't do that well. We routinely bemoan the fact that government does things and government does things they ought not to and government makes things worse. And all that's true. But if government's not doing it, that means we ought to be doing it. That means that if we were doing it, government wouldn't step in to do it. Now, whether that's the church, whether it's a charitable organization, or whether it's us individually or as a group, we can make a difference, but we have to do it. And that's how we take it back. We have to put in the time. We have to put in the effort. We have to show up. And again, this is a reoccurring theme. 
And this is what I want you to remember. If nothing else, if you want to take it back, you have to do the work. If you think this is worth protecting, if you think this is worth saving, you have to put skin in the game. You have to be willing to make a sacrifice. Now, I uh, I spent some time on Sunday uh, moderating the panel with some folks that were telling people what their legal recourses were when dealing with employers that seek to mandate medical procedures. One of the things that I said is I ended it, or more or less ended it, with the idea of you have to be willing to make the sacrifice. What are you going to do? And the example I made was, I'm named after the first martyr. I would choose not to end my life in that way. But if that's what it takes, I'm prepared to do it. What are you willing to do? And with that, my friends, this is According to Callus, and I will see you on the other side.